All right, what'd you guys think of that? It's kind of dramatic. Let's go ahead and put that picture up. This is a picture of Sisyphus. Now he's not modest, which is one of the rules at camp, so pay no attention. But uh, in Greek mythology, Sisyphus was punished by Hades. Uh, Sisyphus was known as a king in Greek mythology of a city that eventually uh, became the city of Corinth in ancient Greece. And um, Sisyphus was known as a deceitful guy, a tricky guy, and uh, kind of a, a Loki character, if you're familiar with, uh, with that character. Uh, and, and he had done several things in his life that had upset the gods. And uh, one of those being that he had offended Zeus himself, uh, the king of the gods. And so Zeus was pretty upset with him on a couple of occasions. But not only did he offend Zeus, uh, Zeus, he offended Hades, the god of the underworld, because he had escaped death on two different occasions because he was so deceitful and so tricky. Uh, and so when he finally was uh, sentenced to Hades, he had a special punishment that Zeus and Hades went together in on uh, to make sure that Sisyphus learned his lesson. And so Sisyphus was cast into the deepest chasm of Hades called Tartarus, and he was uh, tasked with pushing a boulder up a hill that took him all day to get the boulder to the top of the hill. But Hades had enchanted the boulder that before it got to the top, it would then roll back to the bottom of the hill where he would have to start over and begin pushing it back up the hill again. And he would do this over and over and over again for eternity. That was Sisyphus's punishment for being so tricky and conniving. Now, Sisyphus has become popularized in a lot of ways to uh, take his story, and, and that gives us a picture or a, a word picture of what meaninglessness or hopelessness would feel like. If you were Sisyphus having to push this rock all the way to the top of the hill, only to find that right before you got to the top, it just rolled back to the bottom, and you had to do it again and again and again and again. And some people view life like this. Some people see life as meaningless as Sisyphus might see his eternity uh, in Hades. And so that's what we're going to talk about this week is, is life really meaningless? Is life really uh, have any kind of purpose? Is there any hope for us? Because I don't know about you, but there are times at least where when, if you really take a moment and you look around, you go, I don't know. I don't know if there's any hope or purpose in life. I, I can't find it on some days at least. And so that's what we really want to dive into and dig into, because if we take a look at the scripture, there was a person named Solomon. Solomon was one of the wisest people to ever live. And Solomon himself took on the task of trying to uncover everything that a human could do under the sun and discover, is there any meaning or purpose in life? And he came to a conclusion, and that's what we're going to talk about this week as we talked about digging into the book of Ecclesiastes and looking at everything under the sun. And so that's our task this week, and, and I get to do that with you guys, and I'm excited to be a part of that. Uh, but as we do that, if you want to grab your Bibles, I hope you brought those with you, turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. If you're not sure where that is, then take your Bible and just flop it open right to the dead center. You're probably going to hit Psalms or Proverbs. 
And if you do, then you're really close to Ecclesiastes. You just keep going a little bit, uh, one direction or the other, depending on where you landed. If you're really not sure, uh, go to the very, very front of your Bible, and there's a table of contents. Look up Ecclesiastes. It'll tell you exactly what page it's on. If you're using the exact same Bible as me, it's on page 1,135, <laughs> if that's any help. Uh, so Psalms, Proverbs, and then Ecclesiastes is where you'll find it. While you're turning there, I want to introduce myself. Uh, Maddie gave a brief introduction. My name is Kip. It's just simply spelled K-I-P. People would often ask me, is that short for something? Is that short for like Kipling or Kippenstein or whatever? And I would say, no, it's just short for Kip. It's a lot easier just to say Kip. So if, if you see me around, I hope to meet you guys. I hope to hang out with you this weekend. And so don't hesitate to stop, talk to me, uh, introduce yourselves. I want to meet uh, all of you if we have the opportunity to do so. Uh, but hopefully you guys have turned to Ecclesiastes. Before we jump in there, I want to give you a little, a little bit more information about me. If you want to look on the screens, uh, this is my family. So I'm the one in the bottom right corner. Uh, and then in the middle is my wife. Her name is Michael. Uh, it's spelled M-I-C-H-A-L, like David's wife. David, who's actually the father of Solomon, who wrote uh, the book we're looking at, Ecclesiastes. And then my daughter is the oldest in the top left. And then her name is Kai. She actually works here at Hume. And uh, if you stop by the old chapel coffee shop, you can buy some coffee from her. Uh, so if you do, I think I get 5% or something now. Uh, on all proceeds from those sales or whatever. But yeah, stop by, say hi to Kai. And then top right, that's my son, Kale. Uh, it's, uh, it's actually Kale, it's Hawaiian uh, for Charles. It's like a family name on my wife's side. And then the crazy kid in the bottom left corner, you might've seen him in the opener. He was one of the bouncers uh, with the two big dudes. He was the little one. Uh, his name is Gray, uh, G-R-E-Y. And, uh, and his name is Pearson Gray, which means literally gray rock. Uh, that's what his name means. Uh, and that's my family. And then there's one more missing of our five to complete it. That's Lily. Uh, that's our Shepsky Lily with the one little moon eye there. She's a, a hilarious dog. She's a German Shepherd and, and Husky mix. Uh, and she's a beautiful dog and an amazing dog. And she rounds out our family. Um, and I have been working in camp. I love camp. I'm so glad you guys are here. It's fun watching your excitement. Uh, I've actually worked for Hume uh, for 18 years. And so this is, I'm no stranger to camp. I love camp. I'm excited for you guys this week to get to experience camp one more time. And camp can be such a transformational time. And I've had some crazy experiences in camp. I mean, like I said, over 18 years, I've had many faces of being a camp director. Uh, these are all different versions of me throughout my camp life. I've played Satan. I've played a French musketeer. I've played a mime. I've played a guy with a mullet. Uh, a medieval uh, dude, a cowboy western guy. I've had many different roles. Oh, and yeah, thanks, Cameron. Uh, Cameron wanted you to note the guy liner. Uh, there was a video that we made one time where we did this emo boy band, and I had like guy liner on. So yeah, many faces uh, in my life. And so that's just a few things that I loved about camp is just the creativity of it, the fun of it, and the way the team here has put together this Everything Under the Sun with Brock Sterling. Just another way, a fun way to take a look at scripture and to dig into God's word and see what God has for us. So, so I hope you're there in Ecclesiastes. We're going to jump in and start by reading in Ecclesiastes first and seeing what it has to say to us. Uh, like I said, as Solomon wrote this, he was uh, uh, seeking out to understand uh, what is the meaning and purpose in life. And so here's what he says in Ecclesiastes. I'm going to actually read uh, in the ESV version. So if your words are slightly different, uh, here's what you're going to get out of it. Uh, hold on, I need to switch versions. 
Uh, it's on the screen right there, so if you're not able to follow along, it says this. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, that's Solomon himself. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it, set, where it rises. The wind blows to the south, it goes around to the north, around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, where they flow there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Take note of that. Nothing new under the sun, even with Brock Sterling. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new. It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of latter things or later things, yet to be among those who come after. So you guys all hyped up and excited now after reading Ecclesiastes? It's probably the most depressing words you will find in all of scripture is Ecclesiastes, because Solomon goes out to seek out all the things in life and to find out if there's anything under the sun that can bring true joy, true happiness, true meaning and purpose. He uses this word vanity of vanities. Now he's not talking about like your, your dresser where you do your makeup. He's talking about it's vain, it's, it's empty, it's pointless. That's what that word means. In the translation in the NIV, if you read it, it said meaningless, meaningless. Uh, you'll see that phrase over and over again. Everything is meaningless, utter meaningless. Like when you read those verses like, man, I went to the Bible to like ha make myself happy, not you know, feel utterly depressed here. And so we need to dig into this and understand what does this mean for us? What is, what is it that we can draw from this? So as we read this, I have a question I wanted to ask. We go back to verse four, and there's something interesting that he says in there. In verse four, he pulls out this. He says, generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. And again, in verse 11, he says, is there no remembrance of men of old and even those who have yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow? Do you guys... Do you guys know who your uh, parents are? Do you know who your grandparents are? Do you know the names of both your great-grandparents? Do you know the names of both your great-great-grandparents? How many people in here can name both of your great-great-grandparents' names? Yeah. Your, your great-great-grandparents, and you've already forgot their name. You're like a few of you. What about your great-great-great-grandparents? Both of you right now could name your great, you got like, oh, you just did the thing in school where you have to do your, your ancestry, didn't you? Yeah, that's how you know. Uh, but if you hadn't have just done that, you probably wouldn't know. Think about it. The Bible is speaking truth. He's like, you don't even know your parents, parents, parents' name. And one day, your kids, kids, kids won't remember your name. Is that more depressing? Sorry. It's kind of depressing. This is what Solomon's wrestling with. He goes, I don't even know my great-great-grandparents' name. And then it hits him. He goes, and my great-great-grandkids aren't going to know my name either? And he's like, oh my, everything is meaningless then. 
Everything's utterly meaningless. And then he's like, I see these streams flowing into the river and the river flowing into the sea, but the sea never gets full. Why is that? It's because the water that came from the mountain ran down the hill and into the ocean, and then it went right back to the mountain to roll right back down again, to go right back to the top and to roll right. Does that sound familiar? To go to the top of the mountain and start over again and again and again and again for eternity. Sounds kind of meaningless and repetitious and hopeless. And as Solomon starts to look around at just life around us, he starts to realize that there's got to be more to this. There's got to be more to this. So he digs a little deeper and and he goes a little more. He says this, is there any good news for us, right? So he keeps reading and here's where he goes. He goes into verse 12. Keep reading with me. It says, the preacher, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem. So he's a, he's a king over an entire nation. This is the guy. So king's got a lot of money. King's got a lot of stuff. Like they should have access to be able to enjoy the best things of life. So he says, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun. I have seen everything that is done under the sun. And behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind. In NIV, if you're reading it, it says, it's like chasing the wind. You guys ever tried to chase wind? You ever see those dust devils? You know, the dust will kind of kick up in like a little mini tornado. It looks like the, uh, what's the, what's the Looney Tunes dude? The Tasmanian devil, it kicks up and you want to kind of go run in it. When I was a kid, I'd always see them. We had them in the hot summer days and I'd always try to run in them to see if it like picked me up off the ground, right? But I could never get to it. It was gone by the time I got there. It was chasing after the wind. It was like pointless. Like it was hopeless. He keeps going. He says this, for in much wisdom is vexation. (laughs) That's a big word. He says, for he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. So even learning is not that good. Now don't use this against your parents of why you shouldn't go to school. Because I know that's what some of you may be thinking. You're like, hey, in the Bible it says going to school is just dumb. But that's not what he's saying. He's going, I set myself to wisdom and knowledge and understanding. You see, one of the interesting things about the character Solomon is that Solomon has an interesting story. If you look back at at his his situation, it shows that he had, 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 had governed Israel really well. And so God came to him and goes, what do you want? You can have anything you want. It's like genie in a bottle, right? You ever played that out? If you had three wishes from a genie, what would you wish for? He had that opportunity. You got one wish. What do you want? And he goes, I, wanna, I want wisdom. And he goes, yeah, then you'll have it. And he goes, and so much so that you'll be the wisest person ever. And so Solomon led God's people that way uh, with just wisdom. So he's been not just a guy who's like, oh, I, I, I read everything and I studied really hard and I got a degree. He's like, no, this guy was given by God wisdom beyond the average person. And he says, and I applied myself to that wisdom and knowledge and understanding. And he goes, and it's pointless. It didn't gain me anything of real value. So in all of our degrees and all of our accomplishments and all of our knowledge and wisdom and understanding, it only takes us so far. It's not going to get us the true joy when we seek after those things of this world. Of this world. Now, we're just going to stop there because I, I don't think you guys can handle any more of Ecclesiastes for tonight. We'll get into some more of it as we go through the, the weekend. Uh, but, but he talks about this chasing after the wind. And, and it's almost as if he's saying that like ignorance is bliss. Have you ever heard that phrase? Ignorance is bliss. It's like it's better not to know. 
in a way, he's kind of saying that. He goes, I tried knowledge and wisdom and understanding, and it, it led to more sorrow and more grief. The more I looked upon the world, the more I understood the world, the more I discovered the world, the more I realized it's like, I don't know, I, ignorance might be better. And so as we dig into that, then the question comes up with this. He goes, where do you find hope then? As I don't know about you guys, but if you look at the news, if you look around at life around you, there's plenty of reasons to give up you know, on hope. There's plenty of reasons to give up on purpose and meaning. There's a lot of reasons to feel like, why? And I don't know if you've ever been honest with yourself and asked yourself that question and go, why? Why? What's the point? Is there a point? Is there meaning and purpose in this life? Because if we're honest, I know you guys, I know students in junior high and high school, that there are days where you wake up and you go, I don't know if I can go another one. Because life is hard. And that's the truth in God's word, that life is hard. But he doesn't stop there. He gives us a bit of hope. And that's what I want to talk about. I want to explain something to us as we get into this, though, because I think they hit on it in that video there. As you go back to the interview with Brock and Adam Campbell, is that he asked him this question when he was talking about that success, the way the world sees it, like if we pursue these things that really don't have meaning and purpose in them, that it's kind of like a mirage. In the distance, it looks good. When you get close to it, it's kind of like, ah. I mean, how many times have you heard that stories? People who've reached the highest pinnacles of success in our world, whether in music or movies or fame or, or whatever it is, and then they found that life, it didn't give them the hope and the purpose that they, that they expected it to. And that many of them, you know, abandoned it or went another way or got there and it, and it drove them to pursue something else because if it's not there, then I gotta keep looking. And we see that story over and over again. But as Adam's talking about that, he's saying, it's like a mirage, it's in the distance. He goes, but true success he says, is, is like a wellspring. And you see Brock kind of going, that sounds interesting. Like true success that like will make me refreshed when he's like, I wish I had some of that in my cup. Like how many do you feel that way? Like true purpose, true hope. Something that every day you wake up and go, yeah, I'm glad to be alive one more day. We all need that. And that's what Solomon's pursuing here is to understand what does that look like? And I, I love the line that Adam says in there when he says, uh, he says, that it's a wellspring of hope. And, and when you find it, he goes, you won't be thirsty. There's enough to, to refresh you. And then, and Brock says that he goes, where do I find that? And Adam's response is, he says, in the one who dug the well, that's, that's the response. The one who dug the well. And you see, this is the same conclusion that Solomon takes us to. Solomon takes us to the same conclusion is that we have to go to the, the one who created it all. The one who put us here. Because if we're just searching for hope within ourselves or within the people around us or the things that we do or the aspirations and dreams, those mirages in the distance, all that stuff will disappoint us. But there's one thing that won't disappoint us. And that's when we can go back to the source of all of it. Because that's where we all began. That's where we should all begin. And so let me, let me draw this out for you. It looks like this. I'll try to do this where you can all see this. So the question comes down to this. I'm going to draw a little dotted line right through the middle here. And we start with this one big question, the question of God. Does God exist? That's the question I want to propose to all of you. And I'll move this back for you guys on the left side over here. We have to start with the question, does God exist? And there's only two ways to answer this, right? You would think? What's, the, what's one way you could answer this question? Yes. yes. Okay. So let's say... Yes, there's a God. What's another way you could answer this question? 
No. Let's say no is another one. Can you think of another way to answer this question? I don't know. So IDK, that's right, yeah. What about I don't care, right? IDC. So I don't know and I don't care, or yes and no. Those are really the only four ways you can answer this question. So when you're posed with this question that Solomon, the wisest guy in the world, pursued this question, when you're going to answer this question of is there a God, you end up with no, and you are an atheist, if that's your answer to the question. If you say yes, you're a theist. And all this means is you believe there's a God or you believe there's not a God. If you say that I don't know or I can't know, then you are agnostic. You're just admitting that you can't answer this question with either of these other two. Or you're just indifferent. The question isn't important enough to you to worry about. It doesn't mean that you can't answer it one of these other ways. It means basically you, you're unwilling to answer the question. You're just going, yeah, 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 I got other things going on. You know, I got I to gotta make a meal, right? That means you are apatheistic. It means you're, you have apathy. You just don't even care. So those are the four ways you can do it. Now, both of these take us to one side of this line, the side of godliness and the side of godlessness. And it all comes down to how you answer this question. But what Solomon's pursuing is this side of it. Because if you're just atheistic, that's one thing. You just don't believe there's a God, but you can still go find meaning and purpose in life, right? So that's really what the next question comes, with, comes up with, is can we find meaning? I can't fit it in there, but you're gonna, you can remember that that's what I'm saying. Is there meaning in life? Because that's the next big question Solomon asks. And some people would just go, no, there's no meaning in life. And if you do, then you would be classified as a nihilist, which nihilo means nothing. It's nothing. There's, there's no meaning, there's no purpose, there's no God, life just is. And the end conclusion of that is like, then do whatever you want because nothing matters. And that's a bad way to look at life, just in case you were wondering. So then the question goes, if you say there is a meaning, then the question is, is like, well then where, this is what Solomon asked, then where do I find meaning? Because this is a question that everyone should ask themselves. And if you answer this question by saying it's, it's in me, then you become a relativist. That all the meaning of life is just relative to your own self, not according to anyone else. If you say it comes from outside of you, then you have to ask, okay, then again, another question of where, but really more, it's a question of value. Where is true value found in life? If it's not inside me, it must be outside me. So where can I find it? What is of value? And usually there's three answers to this. One of them is in other people. And if your answer is people, then you become a humanist. You believe that all meaning in life is about other people. And these people can often be really good people because they believe that people are the very thing that are value. And so you feel like they're good people because they think their meaning and value is found in you because you're a people. Some of them, you might know these people, believe it's in nature. We often call them hippies. They're, they're naturalists. And then there's people who say the only value in life is in experience. 
Life is there, I'm alive, and if I'm not going to end my life, then I'm going to live my life, so I'm going to soak it all in. I'm going to do everything I can, because the only real reason to be alive is to experience everything that life has to offer. And so at that point, you become an existentialist. You believe that just existing, existentialist, it's a big word, you become an existentialist. And so you live your life seeking excitement, in a sense. You want to go climb the mountain. You want to go achieve the career. And not for the sake of any other internal value or because any kind of a, a godly reason. It's just simply because, hey, life's there to be lived. But all of these are void of a God reason. But if we put God back into the equation, then you have to ask two questions. Is there a God? Yes. Then the next question is an interesting question. It's, it's how many? How many gods? Because if you say there's more than one, then you become a polytheist. And that's weird because now you have a God for everything. This is where you get the God of the moon, the God of the stars, the God of the ground, the God of the trees, and everything's got, looks a lot like naturalist because everything's, God's all over the place, right? Or if you say there's only one God, then you're a monotheist. And that means you believe that there's just one God. There's not all these crazy gods. There's no God of the tree, no God of the sky, God of the thunder, God of the rain. There's just one God. Now, do you believe that that God is in control? That's the next question you have to ask. Because if you say no, then you're just a deist. What that means is you believe there's a God, but it doesn't matter because it has nothing to do with the world you live in. He's just there. You believe he's there because how else would the world be here? But he doesn't interact with you or anyone else in any way, shape, or form. He's just there. You're just here. You're a deist, right? Then you've got the question of, okay, if he is in control... Then the question is, is he in the world? Uh, is he in the world? And if you say he is in the world, then the question is, if you say, yes, he's in the world, uh, then oh, we'll get to that in a second. If you say kind of, like partly he's in the world, then you're like, he's, you're a panentheist. You mean, and what it means is, is like, there's a part of God in the, in the world. Like the world is part of God. So God is like you, it's like me and the world. That's God too. Then you've got when you say uh, uh, God is not in the world, God is everything, then you are a pantheist. And that's kind of very much like the other one where you're like, God is in everything, everything is God. You're God, I'm God, everything's God. So you are pantheist. And then the last question comes up, is Jesus God? And that's the big question that we're gonna look at this week because if you answer this as no, Jesus is not God, you can still be a creationist. And you might not think that that sounds like that's true, but you can because there are many religions who don't believe in Jesus, but they believe in creation. They have a story and account where there's a singular God who's in control of everything and he's in the world, but it's not Jesus, but he created it all. So you can believe all of this. You can say, yes, there's a God. There's only one. He's in control. He's in the world but you still aren't a Christian. If you say Jesus is God, then you become a Christian theist. And those are the different ways you can determine how you value the world and how you answer all these questions will determine your worldview. And this is what Solomon sought to pursue. Solomon went down through all of this. Now Solomon believed in God, but he tried all this stuff too. He goes, let me try all this stuff. Let me try to find meaning and purpose without placing it in God. And I'll just do all this stuff. And he says, nature didn't fulfill me. Humanism, people didn't fulfill me. Experiences didn't fulfill me. 
looking inside myself didn't fulfill me. I don't believe there's nothing because that's pointless. And he goes, and then you have to go down this road. And this is the challenge of this week for us is we have to answer this question. Do you believe there's a God? Do you believe there's only one God? Do you believe he's in control and involved in the world? And do you believe that Jesus is God? That's the question that we're going to talk about because that's the question we're going to look for in God's word. Because God, I believe, is real. There's only one. I do believe he's in control. He's not outside the world. I don't think he's a part of the world. I don't think he's many pieces of the world or that the world is in him. I believe that Jesus is God, that the God that created everything, that God loves you, loves me, and that's where we find our meaning and purpose in life and in existence. And the fun thing is, is when you do all these other things and you do believe in Jesus, you can still find all the other excitement and joys and pleasures in the world, but without this, all of these are meaningless. And that's what Solomon was teaching us. He did all of these things and the end conclusion was, Meaningless, meaningless, utter meaningless. That was his conclusion, without God. You see in Proverbs 9, verses nine through 10, it says this. Instruct the wise, by the way, Proverbs was written by guess who? Solomon, same guy who wrote Ecclesiastes. He says, instruct the wise and they will be wiser still. Teach the righteous and they will add to their learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And so I wanna challenge you guys, because I don't know where you came from. I don't know why you're here. I don't know your story, but some of you might've resonated with what I started with. And you might've come in here thinking that the world is meaningless. And you might not have found that God cares or exists or is involved. And that you might've tried people or nature or experience and other ways because man, if I can't find joy here, then where am I gonna find it? And you might be in that place right now. But I can tell you that this, this word describes God as a father. And that father loves you and cares about you. And I, and I can tell you this, and this is my challenge to you, is I don't know what you think of God as a father. But I can tell you from my own experience, I wrestled with that as a kid. You see, my dad uh, left my mom and my sister and I left us, married someone else and moved across the country. And I never talked to my dad for 23 years until one day he had a heart attack. And his new wife called me because I was the closest one. He'd stopped talking to me, my sister, his sister, anyone else in his family. And I can tell you that because of what I found in this world and in the scripture, you know what I did when she called me? I said, tough luck and hung up. No, I didn't. I actually said, I'll be there as soon as I can. I hung up the phone. I had not talked to my dad or seen my dad. I'd even asked to visit my dad. And he had said, I don't think it's a good idea because I wanted to show him his grandkids. Those kids I showed you on the screen, he's never seen them. But when he had a heart attack and was laying up in the hospital and his wife called me, I said, I'll be there. I called a few people and said, I'm not gonna be here for a few days. I bought a plane ticket, I flew to Oregon, and I went to the hospital, and I sat next to my dad's bed for five days while he recovered from a heart attack that killed him. He died. They resuscitated him on the floor, and he had memory loss. So he doesn't even remember me being in the hospital. I left five days later, he still hadn't got out of the hospital. I went back home, and she called, and she said, he doesn't remember that you were here. So I haven't seen my dad in 23 years. I spend five days with him. And when I leave, he doesn't even know that I was there. 
And the reason that I tell you that is because is that story might resonate with some of you, or this idea of like, what does God as a father look like? And I can tell you that it comes down to this, is I don't know how good my dad was, but I know that I'm a father, and I want to show my kids that a real father, a father who does believe and follow God's word, is a father who doesn't give up, always hopes, always loves, always perseveres, and believes that every person matters, especially my dad, no matter what he's done, and that forgiveness is worth it. And I've never held one thing against my dad, and the day that they call, I got on a plane and I went. And I believe that's the life that God calls us to. And I think we can find meaning and purpose when we live our life according to God. And so that's my challenge. We're gonna get some, some fun stuff this week. We're gonna start off on a little bummer. I hope you guys dig into scripture. Don't be bummed out yet, it gets better, all right? But let me pray for us. And then they're gonna come up, give us some in instructions on what to do next. But thanks for hanging with me. We're gonna dig into some fun stuff this week. Pray with me if you will. Father God, I thank you for the truth in your word. I thank you that as we sang earlier, hallelujah, you have saved me. It's so much better your way. And so I pray that you would help us see this week what your way really is, how we can live according to your word, how we can find purpose and meaning, and how we don't cry vanity of vanities, meaningless, meaningless, but we say only in God, only in you is anything worth it. Only in you can we really find out who we are, why we are here, and why tomorrow is worth it. And so Father, reveal yourself to each and every person here this week. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.